0: I'm Tom Morello, and you are listening to Maximum Firepower. My guest today is Matt Pinfield. Matt has a storied career, one of the greatest experts on music and rock and roll and soul music and hip-hop and punk rock music, living, but he's also been his history on MTV and multiple radio stations, and he's been a great friend for many years. Matt Pinfield, welcome to the show.
1: Tom, it's great to be here. You know, I love this show. I've been checking it out for a while now, so... I'm really honored to be on it, man, and hang out with you
0: here. Well, Matt and I have had countless discussions and debates about music through the years, and so we're going to bring one of those to you right now. We're just going to go through, like, our best and most favorite concerts that we've ever been to and enjoyed. I've made a list of about ten. We're going to go, like, it's kind of like, it's a bit of a lightning round. We're going to talk about that show, what you loved about it, or how it changed your life. Let me hear your first one, and it can be in any, doesn't need to be in any particular order. Best yeah. concert, number one for you. It does not necessarily number one, but just...
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, show. I mean, the first one that, I, that was such a, made a big impression on me was Queen at the Beacon Theater for the Night at the Opera Tour on February 6 1976. My older brother took me to the show, and I was blown away. I mean, to see Queen at what I think was their peak, because they were still... A really heavy band at that time. I mean, they yeah. certainly had a lot of different things. There were songs that, like, went in a ragtime direction, but you know, and did all these different things. But this was when they were still doing their first four albums. So, yeah. sheer heart attack was my favorite album. It was heavier uh, the early stuff, uh, things like Ogre Battle on the second album. So that, so that was all tracks from the first four, and they were in a place that small. Yeah. It was incredible. What's Just what's, this- what's capacity? I don't know what the Beacon capacity is, but I you know it's only a few thousand. I was going right? to say, like maybe
0: 3,000 at the most, like 3,200 at the most. Yeah, y- yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was the last tour they did in a small place because mm. the next year they played, I went to see him again for Day at the Races, uh, which wasn't as good an album as as the first four, but still had some good songs. And they were had Thin Lizzy opening, which was phenomenal, but... That was great for that reason, but to see them in a theater, yeah, and I was in the nosebleeds, nearly the last row, with my brother mm. and my sister-in-law, but it blew my mind. Just, I mean, Brian May's guitar playing, everything about it, Freddie Mercury's showmanship, it was, the show absolutely rocked, and it stayed with me. And from that moment on, everything I saw after that and before I compared Pretty much that show.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a high bar to start with. For, <laughs> for, for me, I have to start with my first show, which was Kiss. You know, I was a huge fan. And at the time, you know, there was no there was no sort of social media to leak or let all you heard was rumors that the amps are this big, that the guitar smokes, that the guy bleeds from his mouth, that there's fun, like you didn't know if this was there were photographs in magazines. And so, like, I'm actually going to be in a room with that, like the, the anticipation could not have been higher. It was at the old Chicago Stadium in kind of like the near the stockyards in in Chicago, that building's not there anymore. And my seat was behind a pole at the side of the stage. And yet it was still like the most cathartic, loudest two hours of my life. And it just made me, I was only watching like the drum riser rise, like from almost behind it. And there was some evidence that Ace's guitar was smoking. I could kind of see around the corner, but still just being in the room was something that was that powerfully rock and roll was, it was a life-changing experience. I was inhabited by the Holy spirit of rock and roll. Your next one.
1: Uh, my next one is yeah. Bowie at the Nassau Coliseum. David okay. Bowie, uh, March 23rd, also 1976. Le- about a month later, my girlfriend at the time, who uh, you know, I met because I was singing in the at the teen centers uh, and at the junior high school dances with this band, my rock band, Thunderhead, who did like kiss songs at Aerosmith. That's and... a
0: pretty strong name for a, for a junior high band. Like, it is, like oh, we are 14. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know? so, but it was interesting because when I went, I think, I you know, it was Bowie and really stripped down. It was station to station. So um, the thing that I will never forget about it is he showed that Salvador Dali movie in the beginning with a slitting of the eyeballs the slashing the eyeballs like in the pixies movie yeah, and the yeah. crowd Screamed in horror, nobody had seen anything like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it was it was really terrifying. And I remember I, I asked Bowie about it years later, and David said to me, He goes, You know, every time I heard the crowd scream, I knew I had 10 minutes to get on stage. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, like because you had that literally like that long intro of Station to Station. That concert's available like as an extended, like deluxe edition of Station to Station, because it was used on a radio station uh, in Long Island that night, but it was incredible. Uh, It was great to see him, uh, you know, and I see him many times after that, but unfortunately I never got to see him you know, during Ziggy or yeah, Diamond Dogs yeah. because I was too young. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even though I had the records, I just, you know, nobody was going to take me that young. Exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> my
0: my first Bowie show was Let's Dance. So I kind of missed that period as well. But my second uh, concert for uh, favorite concerts would be Led Zeppelin, who I saw at that same Chicago stadium in April of 77. It was when Led Zeppelin had like a, a four night run at the stadium. But on the third night, Jimmy Page had food poisoning. They said, and he didn't make it time. the old food. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Food point, because of all the Indian food that we have in Chicago, right? right um, <laughs> uh, you know, you yeah. know. And so fortunately I went on, I went on night two and there was some controversy. I had a, I had an operation on my foot. So my leg was like in a cast and my mom said I couldn't go to the concert. So I made a plea to have an arbitration from my doctor, Dr. Fields and say like, let's, cause she was like, you can't go. I'm like, my only chance is to like find some outside help. And so we went to the doctor he said, he's going to be on crutches. He's going to be in pain. But he might as well be on crutches and in pain at the Led Zeppelin show as sitting at home. I'm like, oh, yes. So I got to see Led Zeppelin. It was their last time they ever played in Chicago. And my memory of it is this is, before, you know, it's like Led Zeppelin on stage, but everyone was sitting down for the most part. It was like sort of a more of a like a spiritual event than one that was like a mosh pit kind of thing. We were very focused on like what they were wearing and like the, the mystique of the band could not have been higher in 1977 and just being in the room kind of hypnotized by this band. I also was confronted. It was the first time that I had ever held a joint they would pass, <laughs> the joints were passed, and I'm I'm 11, 12 years old, like a joint was passed down the road. And I was at the yeah. show, my, my mom My mom was a high school teacher, so she, she didn't want to go to the show, so she had like one of her high school students take me to the show. So the joint comes, and I feel like this is a crossroads moment in my life. I'm going to now touch drugs. I'm going to touch <laughs> drugs. I'm about to touch drugs. I can't get out of it. So I touch the, you know, the guy sort of gives it to me, like sort of like the bro nod, like, you know, hit bro, yeah, toke bro. And I did not take a toke of the, of the marijuana. And I passed it to my driver who then took a big toke and passed it on. Anyway, that was my Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, that's you're, amazing. Yeah. You're next. you're know,
1: I, I, I just, gotta say like quickly with Led Zeppelin, it's really funny because, you know, you, when, when Jimmy <laughs> talks about song remains the same, he says, you know, cause I always thought, you know, how the West was one had better performances, you know yep, what I mean? Yep. yep. And, uh, he said, maybe I shouldn't have done cocaine for like three days straight before we shot that movie. You know what I mean? Something like
0: that. That's at least um, yeah. honest. That's at least yeah. honest. Yeah.
1: Physical Feeding was the one I, I saw too, But it was nuts. But I, my next concert, though, is uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' You're Gonna Get It album, their second album, a small show at the New York Palladium, August 12th, 1978. I discovered Tom Petty through like a like a punk rock gif, thing called Gif vor New Wave which is some Belgian collection with Generation X and all these punk and pistols. Yeah. And for some reason they had Tom Petty's uh, Anything That's Rock and Roll which was their first hit single in England like when they couldn't even sell out 30 Seaters here, they went to England and they got on TV and people really liked them and then I found a 7-inch of breakdown for like 25 cents that was you know, like a promo. So I went oh, wow, I I like this guy, I'm going to buy his album. So when I got the first album, I fell in love with Petty and I bought a, like a, literally a row of tickets from my friends and I, but I mean I was working class, so was, they had to pay me back. I mean it was four dollars for each ticket. So are you kidding four me? Bucks. Yeah, yeah you're I mean not, I didn't. I wasn't buying anybody a ticket. I don't buy nobody you know, tickets, man. My dad, my me? my dad was a teacher. You know what I mean? Yeah. And my mom was also. So that was what we did. But it was incredible. And uh, you know they did a bunch of really cool '60s covers. But seeing Tom Petty, you know, kind of young and hungry at that period yeah. of time, he didn't break until the next album, "Damn the Torpedoes." And I remember bringing a box. To school or what? Before I maybe even they called them boomboxes because they played the (laughs) entire album on WPIX's cool New York station. Awesome! uh, And I like brought it to school and played it for everybody. But it was the one band, Tom Petty. When I was in high school, was the band that like while I was a kid growing up, the Deadheads were like him. The kids who were into metal, like Petty, was the only thing that everybody seemed to agree on in my that I was friends with across the board. It was was similar in
0: (laughs) Chicago as well. Like he dominated radio for that period, and he had he was like cool (laughs) enough was like for fledgling punk rockers and like rock enough for rockers. And yet, and the girls liked it. You know, he like had like, he checked a lot of boxes. All right. My next show is going to be The Clash, 1982 combat rock show at the Aragon Ballroom. It was my first non-heavy metal show. At the time, they were my favorite band. Joe Strummer was my, you know, was it was a revelation that a band could both be so kind of artistically rocking and compelling and yet sort of sing about things that like they could have been from my journal you know, in a way that that was not the case with Kiss or with Led Zeppelin, where there's, you know, the occult and groupies were not a big part of my daily suburban existence. You know, and The Clash was singing about things that mattered in a way that was so super compelling. But the moment, the revelatory moment of that show, and I don't know that that was the greatest tour that they ever played, but it was the fact that in my punk rock band in my mom's basement, I had a little Music Man amp that was on a chair. And Joe Strummer had exactly the same Music Man amp that he played in The Clash, on a chair on stage of the Aragon Ballroom. And it completely it completely it. It wasn't like, man, if you work a lot and one day and a lot of breaks go the right way, one day you can be in a band. I was like, he's in a band, I'm in a band. We're just people in bands. He writes songs. I write songs. And, like, the wall completely came down. My favorite rocker in the world had exactly the same, uh, you know, inexpensive equipment that I had. And I just needed to start writing some songs and being in a band and, like, forget about the other stuff because I'm already doing it. And it was like I, that was like that and the T-shirt. All my T-shirts up till that point had, like, you know, gargoyles on them or busty shield maidens on them. And the Clash T-shirt just had a few words written over the heart. It said, the future is unwritten. And I was like, okay, we're in for a new experience tonight. All right, yeah. next next uh, concert. Well, that brings
1: us to the, to the crossroads here because my number five is the Clash, September twenty first, nineteen seventy nine, New York Palladium. The big thing I got behind me, which I recently made a purchase of, and they sold to me for only sixty dollars. Somebody offered him five hundred for that. For it was at Tower in nineteen eighty. Yeah, they, they, I bought it at a record show, and the woman goes, "I know you love the band, so you're not going to flip this." You know what I mean? And <laughs> yes. so she sold to me for sixty bucks. For, you know awesome, my wall. That's and awesome. So I was there that evening. That was the second night of a two-night run for the Clash. They did five new songs from the album. It wasn't out yet, right. so they did, you know, they did Guns of Brixton. They did London Calling. Uh, they did Coca Cola, Clampdown, and they also did Armageddon Time, the B-side, which is that Willie Williams song. They were phenomenal. It blew my mind. I mean, it was. I was the second time I'd seen them, and then I went and saw them on Bonds on Broadway. But that show that night, because I love that venue, the New York Palladium. And I didn't realize I I saw history being made at that moment. I knew they were one of my favorite bands of all time. I love them. They're Fury Live. It just cut through. I was like, I waited every week for a new Clash single to come out and run down to the store to buy the import.
0: But, uh, you know, when something came out. But when I so I, so, I, so that was the night that he broke the bass. Yeah, that so that you, he smashed oh, the bass. So, yeah. so the the cover <clears> because <throat> co- people may not be seeing this. The cover of London Calling, the iconic where Paul is smashing the bass on London Calling. The some would argue the greatest rock and roll record of all time, and one of the greatest rock and roll photographs of all time was shot at this show that you were at. Just yeah, to it was unbelievable. Say that explicitly. I, yeah, that's I want awesome. it.
1: Was awesome. I? I was blown away, and I'm like on the I'm thirty rows back. About I'm uh, I'm on the side of Mick Jones. So I'm not on the Paul Simon side of the stage, but I see him smash the bass, and I remember going, "Holy shit!" Mate. He I go, "He's either really pissed off about something, or he's doing a Pete Townsend." Like I wasn't yeah, really yeah, sure. Yeah. Is you it know show, what I mean? Is it showbiz or is yeah, it? Yeah, like I, I was trying to figure it out, but man, I mean, uh, just to witness that happen. And when she captured that incredible photograph, I mean, it had all the energy of the show that I didn't, London Calling's one of my favorite records of all time, so it makes to to be there was just a beautiful, historic thing for me, you know? That's
0: awesome. I'm Tom Morello. You are listening to Maximum Firepower. My guest is Matt Pinfield, and we are talking about our favorite live shows of all time. All right, so my next one is Devo. Uh, Devo was my second non-heavy metal show, and the Primary impetus for me to actually start playing music was punk rock. First, it was the Sex Pistols, then it was The Clash, and then it was Devo. And Devo appealed to me. There was like sort of a I don't know, like I uh, hesitate to use the word like sort of intellectual, but there was like an artistic appeal to them where they were not just aiming to entertain you. They were aiming to challenge you and to unnerve you. And uh, that was very different. Like, you know, Kiss went out there to like, we're going to rock and you're going to stand up and we're all going to rock together. And Devo wasn't like that. They were like, it's odd what we're doing and it's challenging. And there's like sort of some narrative intent that is veiled. And they had like the coal miner hats with the, with the beams on them. And, and the, you know, like, they did not look like cool people. Like I was in the drama club and I'm like those guys, and they didn't play, they didn't have a great facility on their instruments. And yet they were very artistically compelling. And seeing that show really made me think like, there's a lot of different ways to play rock and roll. There's a lot of different you, there's no idea that's off the board when you're playing a live show, and that's what Devo instilled in me.
1: So. Yeah, that's amazing. I know you've always been what. A, what a great band! I always always loved them too, and I'm glad they're going back out again. Yep. And my my next is you two at the Ritz. It was the October tour, November twentieth, nineteen eighty one. An wow. album that yeah. they don't reference too often. What was be- well, the thing that stuck with me about that show, Tom? Was that Yeah, I could see that at by that time it was the second time I'd seen you two. I saw them do the boys tour as well uh at a club. And I could see that Bono was gonna be this huge starter or something. He was connecting when he did that part of the first album that goes into the heart, into out of control, like or uncat dub into into the heart out of control. Uh it was so incredibly intense and emotional. I just knew there was something incredibly special about him. I, I saw the future of U2's career there. Now, I, wow. I probably love the Zoo TV tour, even in the stadium, as much as that night. Sure. Because that show was unbelievable, and it was such a spectacle. Yeah. But that seeing that U2 show, seeing him there, I just went, wow, You know, there's something unbelievable about this guy. And I'll quickly tell you, I went backstage that night, because I always used to go backstage at shows and find my way back. And he's talking to us, and he, the thing he was the most excited about when he broke out a, a bottle of champagne was... And you're going to laugh at this. This is brilliant. Um, he said that Robert Plant ran into Adam Clayton at a truck stop, like or like a stop somewhere. <laughs> and and Adam Clayton had said to, uh, uh Robert Plant said to Adam Clayton, hey, oh, you're the guy from YouTube. People say that we look alike. And Bono thought that was the coolest thing. The coolest thing. Claim, <laughs> claim, claim the fame at that time. Like, that was it. Not even, you know, it was
0: way before
1: he was like that's this, a, you know. That's incredible. It was, incredible. First it was of all, just incredible.
0: That whole story, <laughs> there's a truck stop where those two guys intersected. That's been, <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. All right, yeah. so my my next show is Run DMC at a small club called the Dragonfly in Hollywood. I'm not sure. It was, must have been some promotional event, but I got invited to it. I'm a huge Run DMC fan. And I don't know that there is, I mean, this is, I'm uh, prone to, like, overstatement, but I don't know that there has ever been a group that had the level of swag of... Run DMC and when they were rocking arenas where they were rocking theaters, but this is a club of about, you know, 300, 400 people and just the, the power of the funk and the command of those two MCs and those great songs, you know, from rock box to King of rock to, you know, it's tricky, just rocking all of those jams. It like, it was an apex moment of just musical ecstasy. Run DMC. Hats off. Yeah. All That's right, you're, an amazing one.
1: Your next one, you know, this one is interesting because it's Lollapalooza '92. Okay, uh, which was the first time I saw you play live. Actually, you guys were on that bill, uh, yep. but I love the the whole day was really interesting for me. I was covering it also for radio, so I was watching it, but also doing interviews, and I love that show. It was really when the roar things were starting to really, as That's you right. can see, rock uh, that period and alternative. That was that mesh, and they were taking over, and the, everybody was so great. The day that I saw them at Waterloo Village, it was, you know. I mean the Chili Peppers were phenomenal. Obviously, Do Blood Sugar Sex Magic was, was still their current album. You know, SoundGarden were doing Bad Motor Finger, which was just unbelievable. Ice Cube was great. I mean, Pearl Jam had just they were low on the bill, yeah. but they'd gotten so big yeah. that people were going crazy. Yeah. You know, for them, the Mary Chain played uh, you know, Lush. Everything about that. Porno for Pyros. Ministry, ministry. As well. Ministry were as amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah they yeah. ministry were great. And they were yeah. doing, you know, that, that album too around that period of time with New World Order. I mean, I just loved that show. There was an energy that year. I mean, I'm, all those La years were great, but there was something about that. Somebody gave me a cassette of your first demo with the 12 songs on oh, it. sure. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. how I discovered you guys. And then when I heard about it from the guy at Epic Records, and I was running the radio station in New Jersey, and I said, oh, oh yeah, I, I saw those guys. So it was, I mean, it was shortly after that, you know what yeah. I mean? Everything started to happen. It was great because that's where I was introduced to you. So that's uh, and awesome. I love that year. So I had to bring
0: that up. I'm going to pick a Lollapalooza moment for mine as well. It'll be Lollapalooza '91, a band called Nine Inch Nails. I was yeah. wholly un—I would never heard the words Nine Inch Nails" put together in a sentence before. They came on in the day. I think maybe they were after Rollins' band or something like that. They came on in the daytime. I did like Devo, but I generally didn't like bands that had keyboards and whatnot. That wasn't like rock and roll enough for me. I couldn't believe the awesome raw rock, pa- they, they destroyed the stage. He destroyed the equipment. He destroyed the other band members. They played this kind of feat. I went out the next day and bought the cassettes, uh, Pretty, Hate, Pretty Hate Machine cassette. It was just like, it was peeking into a new era. Like these bands, they can be trippy like Jane's Addiction. They can be electronic like this. They can be sort of more classic rocky like Pearl Jam. But it really was like this window into a different point of view that had that one foot in like the raw authenticity of punk rock music, but was not afraid to like rock you with great songs. Like there are very, very, very few times you could like see a band like absolutely cold and go... I mean, they won the day. In my opinion, there were some great bands on that stage that day, but it was Nine Inch Nails Day. All right, what else you got? You know, there's a, I, I just will quickly say these because Please do. It's so yeah. hard.
1: You honorable, know, like Honorable mentions. Uh, honorable mentions. I had to mention Kiss That Riddle's Reunion shows. And you know, you remember you remember that story where I sang with Peter Ace and Gene yes. at the rehearsal and I did yeah. 100,000 Years Rock Bottom and Do You Love Me? <laughs> uh, because Paul didn't show up. It was like a dream come true. It was like, I was unbelievable. Oh my I yeah, couldn't yeah, sleep yeah. that night. Yeah, 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 And I remember calling you and telling you that time I'm like Tom, I sang with Kiss, <laughs> and then and they sang back up, and it was oh, unbelievable. It's inc- incredible. It, it- and it was a day you weren't there because you were rehearsing with Citizen, which we of course became honestly right, right, right. across the hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I called you right away to tell you that. I gotta say, Aerosmith, you know, they were never good in the 70s when I saw them because they were always too fucked up and the sound was terrible. But I will say this they were phenomenal at Giant Stadium the night that Guns and Roses shot the Paradise City video oh. for permanent vacation. They redeemed themselves completely to me as one of my favorite bands in the 70s, and they Steven Tyler was doing backflips. They were brilliant. Wow. They commanded a, a, a stadium metallica of course i i was doing a thing with them and they did a free show in philadelphia around the time of reload and did all songs they had never done live before oh wow. so that was really cool uh you know when reload came out foo fighters this is a good uh, sir i just have to tell you because i think you'll appreciate this I was doing the album special for Wasting Light and I was at their studio at 606 in Northridge, the Foo Fighters studio. I was—I finished this, the radio special and Dave goes, like, I'm, he goes, hey, hang around, have lunch. You're going to go out on a red eye. And at one point he goes to me, hey, Matt, you want to hear the album again? And I'm thinking he means the playback because it's not right. out yet, right, Wasting right. Light. And he goes, no, do you want to hear it live? <laughs> and so they go in that back isolation room that's like 10 by 10 feet. It's the five Foo Fighters in a circle and me against the little door. And they do bridge burning to walk full wow. volume wow. all the way through. And, man, it was unbelievable. I mean, I have no hair, but if I did, it would stand up. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, that was an incredible moment for me. An oasis at the Academy. And Bruce Springsteen, the last show at Giant Stadium before. I mean, I saw Bruce many times, like Darkness on the Edge of Town 78. You know, I love Bruce. But, man, there was something about doing the last ever show at Giant Stadium. That meant right. so much to me right. being a Jersey guy because yeah. I love Bruce so much, you know. And so I just, uh, that, that had to get a mention. And Jane's Addiction, because we both, you and I love that band so much. Halloween, the MTV show oh, that like, I did yeah. some hosting for, Halloween 97. Anyway, that's a lot of uh, uh, honorable mentions. There's so many.
0: That's fine. <laughs> you know? That's fine. It's, I'll, I'll give you my, briefly, b- my honorable mentions are going to be PJ Harvey, uh, downtown LA, just at the height of her, like, punk rock power and, like, terrifying glamour. Uh, Gogol Bordello, uh, festival show, uh, somewhere in Portugal, like they're, you know, uh, they're punk, you know, there's like nine members of the band. They have nine different passports and the music sounds like it. Uh, um, <laughs> How's Eugene? Do you talk to him anymore? Yeah, every once in a while. Right? We, we shared an intercontinental flight, you know, a couple a couple of years ago. He's great. He's, he's Isn't one is he of the best? Did he, he have the... you,
1: or, uh, didn't he have you over his like family's house like Rick, for like food one time? Or no, something like that no, no, but ago? we've spent
0: a lot of time like in, you know, We've spent a lot of times carousing in different corners of the world, and those guys get yeah. ca- carouse with with the best of them and then last yeah. then lastly, I'm gonna say Johnny Cash um it was a festival show sometime in the nineties um and he was playing one of the tents during the day, and I had never- I'm a big fan of Johnny Cash but I'd never seen him perform and just you know like like going into that room and just he's a guy that's played. 50,000 shows in his life, and it's just total command of the audience, of his band, of those songs, and like the like the kind of that dark charisma that he has was something that I will never, like, I just ran, I'm like, looked on the, you know, thing, just got off the bus, and I'm like, Johnny Cash, 4.30 in the Sahara tent, you know, just ran over yeah. there, ran over there, <laughs> popped my head in, and was just absolutely blown away by one of the masters. Okay. That's uh, incredible. We're gonna, Matt Pinfield, thank you so much for joining me on Maximum Firepower. It has been a sublime pleasure talking about our favorite shows of all time. And, uh, and let's do it again soon.
1: Absolutely. Tom, thanks for having me. It was great catching up with you here.
0: Until next time, take it easy, but take it.
1: Let foes of justice tremble.
0: This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search maximum firepower.